Hello and welcome back to the weekly review presented by the Macro Review. I am your co-host Parker Johnson here to tell you about some of the happenings of this week. We are coming up on the end of January and it's been somewhat of a wild month in terms of deals happening, in terms of economic highs and lows across the board. But as a whole, I think this has been a pretty good month and in general, a good way to start the year. We have some great stories for you today, a couple really positive ones and one that's a little bit more speculative and on the kind of more of a downward trend. But uh, for the most part, like I said, it's, it's been a good month. So without further ado, we'll jump right into it. Some of the best news coming out of this week comes from the Dow, the S&P, the NASDAQ. All five or all of them are up a record five days in a row. So when you look at, you know, the Dow Industrial, the S&P 500, those are, you know, up almost a percent today alone. Um, you know, again, recording on Thursday and the NASDAQ is up, you know, about a quarter of a percent as well. And so, you know, these are some incredible lines of movement across these different, um, you know, markets. And, and so it's just something to see as we go into the new year, if this is something that continues to grow. There have been a couple major stocks that have not done as well. You know, when you look at Tesla, Tesla's down about 12%. When you look at, um, you know, like Activision Blizzard, that company's down a little bit as well. But for the most part, the big heavy hitters are definitely pulling their weight and increasing the the numbers we're kind of seeing across the board. And it's a good sign of, of things to come, hopefully. You know, we've been talking about kind of where is the economy at? Where is the stock market at? And when you're seeing these numbers consistently rise, you know, there are a lot of people that are going to be, um, you know, bearish on it and say, you know, it's not good. And, and this is just heading to a bust. I think it's just a sign that our economy is getting stronger and stronger. Um, and so, yeah, it's, it's just great news. I think um, I don't expect it to be another week of highs. I do think that at some point it'll kind of come back down to earth. But again, five days in a row of record levels is something that is great to see. And, you know, if you're not in the stock market, maybe this is a chance for you to jump in while things are still growing and, uh, you know, continue to ride the high. When we look at stocks that have done well, um, Spirit is maybe not one of the ones you would say that about. We talked about Spirit and the kind of, um, congressional block that happened or not congressional block, but, um, you know, the, the stock merger was blocked. They were going to merge with JetBlue and the court kind of blocked that and the stock tanked. Um, and, and you know, that obviously has to do with the fact that shareholders are really positive on it on the fact that this is going to be a great move. And then of course it doesn't happen. So now the question go becomes where does spirit go? They were planning to obviously have this large influx of cash from the acquisition and merger. What happens with it? I think what's really interesting is JetBlue has of course filed an appeal. Um, and that's really helped the stock kind of rebound. If you look at the the numbers, you know, across the, the, the past month and, you know, I'm pulling them up right here, it, you know, we, they were at a, around trading around 15 or so dollars. And then they immediately dropped to about four, I believe at their lowest point, um, and, and have kind of gone down and, and kind of gone up. It looks like they're back on the mend, um, back to about 50% of where they were. 
it's a number that I think, depending on what the news comes out with JetBlue and this merger, it's a number that could, I think, get back to where it normally was. So potentially if it's, you know, something that you were looking at, maybe this is the time to invest. But it really just depends on what the courts decide in terms of the merger. The big problems with the merger were, of course, that Spirit is a budget airline and JetBlue is everything but. And so the question is, does that kind of defeat the purpose? You know, would JetBlue continue to keep it as a budget airline? Would it try and convert it into more of a luxury and, um, you know, better commercial line? Who knows? If you're Dave Portnoy, you're really hoping that, you know, the stock trends back up. If, if you didn't follow the news on, on X, he invested in the stock. And I believe within five minutes, the stock tanked. And so, you know, his... His motto is, you know, to hold on to it and, and keep with it. And, and he has kept with it. And the numbers have come back to a better place than they were at their, you know, lowest at, you know, $4.29, but certainly not where they were when he initially invested. So if you're him, you're certainly hoping it gets better. If you're the average consumer, you know, that uses Spirit, you're hoping it gets better. I've used it before. You know, again, it's one of those things where you're not on there for the frills or the snacks or the Wi-Fi, right? You're there to get from one place to the other and it's your cheapest option. And hopefully it continues to provide that to its users. On to some more news. Um, when we look at Netflix, they have announced some big news in that they have agreed to pay $5 billion for rights to WWE Raw. If you don't know what WWE Raw is, it's a, the worldwide wrestling show that is scripted, but then has a little bit of competition to it. And so um, this is a big deal for Netflix as it's basically their first full jump into uh, live sports and live streaming, right? You, you know, when you look at live action events, that's obviously been something that they've pushed on. There was a dating show where they had a live event and that did not end up going very well. Obviously they are, I'm sure in the midst of messing with those kinks and trying to fix that so that this will be a better production. I mean, you're not playing, paying $5 billion for rights to something if you don't think that you're going to be able to produce it. But this is a trend that we've seen more recently. They've, they've made the conscious effort to move into sports when you look at things like drive to survive full swing there's a tennis one um you know basically every sport they have started to do this thing where they're filming the behind the scenes action and then putting it on obviously that's not live it's not happening live but they're getting a sense of the flow of live sports you know what it looks like what can we capture before the event? What can we capture during the event without interfering with the, you know, live participants? And what can we capture after the event? So I, I think once they kind of got a sense of that, this is kind of the next step is now let's get into live sports. And live sports is an industry that is growing exponentially. You know, you look at Apple who invested billions of dollars to get the MLS. You look at ESPN, which has invested billions of dollars to get the NFL. All of these large major sporting groups are getting massive investment and so here's kind of the next step on that is you know netflix who has primarily been tvs and movies now dipping their toe into the live sports as well if this is something that does well i would not be surprised to see them take on you know a sport and try and do it obviously we last week talked about amazon and their acquisition of diamond sports being completed and everything that happened with that 
baseball is a sport that has 162 games. I would assume it's not too hard to get a piece of that pie. You know, if you can stream one game a week or stream for a couple teams to kind of get a sense, again, get a sense of what these live sports are like, you can then dip your toe into something and get a bigger chunk of a larger sporting event, whether that's soccer or football or anything like that. So, you know, something interesting to watch and on the live sports thing, there's also some interest in the fact that ESPN and other PE, I mean, obviously ESPN is not a private equity firm, but ESPN and other larger entities have talked about investing in the NFL. And so we've talked about the fact that ESPN, which produces sports content, sports writing, and is known for its sports journalism, now has a betting arm. What does it look when you have an entity that has a betting arm, a journalistic arm, and now potentially owns a percentage of the NFL? That's something that is very, very early. Nothing has happened officially, but something I'll definitely be keeping an eye on, and I would encourage you to as well. You know, there's there's obviously always talks about sports potentially being rigged. You know, oh, this game was really, really bad. They must have rigged it. And while I'm not a full-on conspiracy theorist, I do think that it becomes interesting when money gets involved in a place like ESPN. You know, how how do you make sure that the people that are working with the NFL are not also working with the betting side and not also working with the journalism side. Because if the journalist side suddenly seems to have, in quotations, better knowledge from the NFL side, does that influence the betting side? And do they make a bunch of money when people bet on that and it's not actually true? Again, very early, just something to mention, something to kind of think about as this deal kind of progresses, who is going to be investing in those large firms? Where's the oversight? What happens with that? Our final story of the week is a little bit more of a downer. Uh, it's something that we definitely are watching and, and want to be aware of. Um, but there was an article that came out from the National Bureau of Economic Research. And this came out at the end of this past year. So it's, it's fairly new and it's just kind of starting to get a little bit of buzz. But basically it's a paper from um, you know the, these four people. And the, the thing I want to pull out here and, and the stat I want to pull out here is, and, and this is a direct quote, the adoption of hybrid working patterns, about 14% of all loans and 44% of office loans appear to be in quote negative equity where their current property values are less than their outstanding loan balances. It's a lot of numbers. Um, basically what they're saying is 44% of office loans, the office is not even worth as much as the loan is. So that begs the question, what is the consequence of a default? What is the consequence of these companies deciding that they no longer want to pay for their office loans? We've seen this in San Francisco. We've seen this a little bit in New York where there's this low occupancy rate of offices. And so when you combine low occupancy rate of offices with offices that are actually worth a lot less than they're being paid, you have this problem. And, and the real kicker and, and the bottom line of this is that a majority of banks are investing most of their assets in real estate, right? We've always been told real estate is something that always appreciates and, you know, invest in real estate and it's going to have this long-term effect, which is certainly true for the most part. But when it comes to these office spaces and this mass expansion that we had, and then which was obviously hindered by the pandemic, 
you can see that there are some problems and there are some potential down the line issues that happen when a majority of a bank's assets are in real estate, that real estate is now being valued much lower than the actual cost of the loan and the size of the loan, and there's a low occupancy rate. So, you know, the, the companies that have loaned out these offices either do not have money because they're not being paid because they're not being occupied, or it's just not worth it for them to keep the loan on. What happens with that? It, we kind of get into this cycle. If you, if you look at 2015 to the end of 2023, there has been $1.6 trillion more commercial real estate exposure for banks. And about a trillion of that is from regional and local banks. And we've seen the obvious impact of smaller banks and what happens when those collapse. About you know a half a trillion of that increase is from larger banks. A trillion of that is from regional and, and local banks. It's just something that I would be aware of, that I would maybe be investigating. It's something that we're definitely going to look into in a future episode, or at least I will, um, of the macro view and kind of do a deep dive into what does this look like? What's the fallout of it? But something that, you know, this article comes out and you just compare the two sides, right? It's just, it's just about taking the two puzzle pieces and looking them together and saying, look, there's very little value in these buildings. And yet a majority of banks assets are tied up in these buildings. Something has to give one way or another. How does that affect the greater economy? How does that affect the housing and commercial real estate markets? How does that affect banks and their credit ratings? Things to consider to think about as we go into this year. So like I said, a couple really good things in the stock market's value, you know, potentially Spirit coming back and Netflix obviously making this massive jump. And then, you know, one kind of more negative thing that we need to be aware of. But uh, yeah, that's, that's pretty much all I have for you today. As per usual, if you have any questions, if you have any thoughts, we love hearing your feedback. So please feel free to reach out to us at the email, the Instagram that we have, and of course the website. You know, we have some forms on there to give us feedback as well as a list of all of our, you know, um, episodes and any upcoming events we might have. We are planning to release our first full macro review episode of the year this coming Monday. So be on the lookout for that. That'll be a good one where we'll kind of get a chance to explain what the future of the Macro Review podcast and what we're looking to do in this year and, and how things have changed and where we're going. So be on the lookout for that. Thank you again for listening and I will talk to you soon. Thanks so much. Mm -hmm.